Welcome to the fourth message of our series, And to Make Him Known, which is our series on the mission of our church. Join us as we look at the incredible truth that God has not only saved us from our sin, but also saved us for a new purpose in life. God has called us to serve as his ambassadors so that God now makes his appeal to the world through us. Again, we've uh, taken this couple week series on, on, on mission and, and really comes out, you know, part of it is several years ago, actually a number of years ago now, it's the elders who were at the elders at that time spent a significant amount of time you know, studying the Bible, saying, what are all the passages that God calls us as individuals to? What's he calls us to be faithful? What are the passages he calls us as a church to? What is that responsibility? And, and we tried to take those passages and to kind of take them and, and kind of sum them up in, in a mission statement that we can memorize, that we can know, that would, that would impact our thinking, that we evaluate our ministry by. And it's simply to know Christ, his life-changing power, and to make him known. We are a community of people that are, that are committed to that purpose. That's why we gather together. That's, that's what we're seeking to do, to know Jesus Christ as we know him personally, to experience that life-changing power, and then seeking to make him known. Now, when we talk about this God-given mission, it's based on a lot of different passages. But one we shared a couple weeks ago that is probably one of the core passages is in Matthew 28. It's, it's often referred to as the Great Commission. And it's, and it's in many ways it was Jesus' final words, his final challenge to his followers, to those that were there then, and its final challenge, challenge to us even today. The Bible teaches that after that Easter Sunday when Jesus rose again from the dead, that he then st- basically stayed on earth for 40 days, that he appeared to his disciples, that he taught them and he, and he and equipped them, he, he taught them to understand things that they didn't have before. And after that 40 days, he then ascended into heaven. And shortly before ascending into heaven, he gathered them together and he gave them this final challenge, these last words that he wanted them to remember, that saying, okay, now I'm going to heaven, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm leaving you here because I want you to remember this is your call. And this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, what I want you to see is that in this call, that there's one primary task that God calls us to. There's one primary call, one primary, you know, um, t- you know action. And, and it has two distinct elements within that. Now, sometimes we can miss this because we read it and say, okay, what is God calling us to? We've got to look at it and look very carefully at the, the terms here, and we realize that there's really one verb. The one verb is go. That's the only verb that's here, go. The one call, go and make disciples. That's the single call that God has called us to. But there are two distinct elements of that call, and it's, and it's, and it's communicated not as a verb but as a participle. Basically, go and make disciples, and how are we to make disciples? Well, first of all, by it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what he's doing is that he's he's, uh, referring to the whole process of sharing our faith, of talking to people who don't believe and sharing our faith and and leading them to a place where they trust in Christ. And then we celebrate that through baptism. And it's not only that what we often call evangelism, but then it's also then teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. This lifelong process of learning what it means to follow Jesus Christ. But we have to realize that it is one single call with these two different elements. The hard part is that sometimes we divide it up. And, and there are people, or individuals, or churches will divide it up and we will think, well, God's called me to this one part, not the other part. 
And so I know a lot of churches that I've seen that they said, well, God's called us to be an evangelism church and, and to the point where there's Sunday morning worship service is basically an evangelistic uh, outreach service every week. The gospel's always presented, but there isn't much in the way of teaching. So if you're there, you know the gospel really well, but you haven't ever learned to be able to you know, understand and obey everything else that God commanded you because you never get past the gospel. And so they said, well, we're being faithful to the Great Commission. Well, they might be leading people to Christ, but they're not growing them. But I know many other churches, even denominations, that will say, well, no, God has called us to be a, a discipling church. So we're going to focus on the teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded, and, and we're going to really you know, grow people. And, but, the, but while those churches may talk about evangelism theoretically, practically you look and very few people ever come to know Christ through many of these ministries. Now, what's unfortunate is a lot of people even see these two parts as almost incompatible. So you have the evangelistic churches saying, well, we have to do this because if we teach, well, then it's going to confuse people who don't know Christ. And, and you have the, you know, the discipling churches that say, well, we're committed to this because you know, if, if we do evangelism, we're watering down the teaching that we're trying to really grow people deep. And what you've got to realize is that, no, God says these are indivisible. He calls us to go and make disciples. That's an indivisible call that has two elements, baptizing and teaching. That, that, that's called for all of us. And sometimes even we as individuals can say, well, I think that God has called me to you know, just do the discipleship, and I'm not really called to evangelism. But again, here's what I want you to think. What if somebody were to come and say, well, I think that God has called me to be evangelistic, and that whole teaching to obey, well, God's not really called me to focus on really teaching, learning and obeying him, and he just called me to focus on the gospel. And you say, no, no, you, 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 gotta, you gotta grow. And I can't say that God's called me to do one part, not the other part. No, it's one thing. He's given us one call to go and to grow as his disciples and to make disciples, which means baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Now, we struggle, I think, more with most churches with, and most of us with the evangelism part. And it's like, man, that's hard to do. And I think part of it is that we, we sometimes, the way we see evangelism, it's often presented in many churches as being an event, as, as something that, okay, well, here's what you're trained to do. And you've got evangelism teams that go out and witness to strangers or, you know, you have this big event. And what we've got to realize is that, again, the call is to make disciples. And discipleship is very relational in nature. And that means that even our attempts to share the gospel is an expression of the relational aspect of what discipleship is. We talked about discipleship a couple weeks ago. And we saw that discipleship is, is a process of learning that comes with living life together. But that means that our evangelism is, is primarily that. It's that we, we have relationship with people and we live life together and we experience that life and we share our, our faith not as an event, but as an expression of just living life together. See, unfortunately, when we think of it as an event, that can terrify us. Well, I go out and do that. Or, or we think of evangelism as, boy, I've got to get people and I've got to you know, say certain things and have those words that really somehow you know, bring the gospel in and bring them to a point of salvation. And, and we think of that and it terrifies us because we think about, okay, what would I do and how, what would I say? And, and, and we kind of get in our mind these, these you know, horrific pictures of what it would look like and say, I could never do that. I mean, let me even share an illustration of this. We've got a little video here that kind of shares kind of what we often think that evangelism is supposed to be and how we think it could sometimes go not the way that we would hope it to go. See if you can relate. Sorry I'm late. 
Mm. That coffee is hot. Isn't that the worst? Oh, I just burnt my tongue. You know what? You think that's hot? You gotta try that burn like 10 billion times worse all over your entire body as you fall into the pits of hell because you haven't surrendered your life over to the will of Jesus Christ. Huh? That's a burn you won't get over. <laughs> Saved you a cookie. Now, I want you to know that's not what God's calling us to do. And we often feel it is, but that's not what God's calling us to do. The primary goal of evangelism, it's building relationships. It grows naturally from relationships. It means that we look at the people whom God has put in our life and we intentionally try to say, how can I spend time with them? How do I get to know them? How do I build that relationship? The goal isn't necessarily to, you know, to say, okay, how do I hit everybody over the head with the gospel? But how do I look for opportunities? How do I pray for those opportunities? And I want to let you know that oftentimes the most effective evangelism strategy isn't what we say, it's what we ask. That usually the most effective strategies are, are really asking questions. You see this perfectly illustrated through Jesus. That oftentimes it's, you know, I saw this, what do you think of this? Here's a thought and just kind of placing, I know somebody that even, you know, the, will take even some of the videos that we do in the Coffee with Mike and if, if it's one that really connects with somebody they know, they'll say, I saw this online, what do you think of this? And, or the, they'll, you know, they'll, here's a little book that I saw, what do you think of this? Or, you know, the most effective question I, I use most of the time is simply the question, how can I pray for you? The fact is I you know, have had relationships with people that are atheists, that people that are Hindu, that are people of different religions, and, and you say, well, how can you share with them? Well, if I go to them and I say, how can I pray for you? It's hard for them to get upset by that. Even an atheist, I, you know, I've, I've gone to some friends of mine, and I said, yeah, I know you don't believe in God, but I do, and I think one of the best things that I can do for you is pray for you. So I know even though you don't think that prayer has any power, um, I would like, to me, that's something that is kindness that I could do for you. Is there anything I can pray for you with? And I've never had anybody that has gotten angry with that. And usually they'll share like meaningless thoughts. And, but if I come back a couple weeks later, hey, he's praying for that. How's that going? And I ask that question, how can I pray for you? And if I continue to pray for people, it's amazing in time how God will open up doors. That oftentimes you have people that have a moment of kind of crisis or a need. And right away they're thinking, okay, who's the person that cares for me? Who's the person that might have a spiritual truth that I can go to that might that might have a perspective that I need on this. And it might be months, it might be years where you're just trying to spend and communicate, I care about you, how do I pray for you? But that one question can be incredibly effective in sharing the gospel. Now, as we look at this, God has called us to do it, but what does it look like? And what I want to do this, you know, most of the rest of our time is go to the passage we read a few minutes ago because it's a great passage that takes this general call to go make disciples and explains it a little bit. It's, it helps us understand this, you know, this God-given charge to go make disciples. The first verse that we read is 1 Corinthians 5.17. If you have your Bibles open, you turn there with me. And it's a verse that many of us know. We may have heard before. It's a great verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What a great idea, that you know, truth, that when a person accepts Christ, when we ask for his forgiveness, when we embrace him as God in our life, our lives are changed. We're transformed. As Paul says, we're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And one of the things that is so incredible is that periodically we have chance where people share their testimony and they're saying, here's where I was. Here's the struggles that I had. Here's how, I'm, here's how God's changing me. 
And we've had so many people even here that have shared parts of your life of how God is changing you in the midst of that because that's what the gospel does. It's incredible. Many people have, have even used the illustration that it's almost like the, you know, the, the, the picture of, in the animal world of, of the butterfly. You know, it starts out as this little caterpillar, and it's kind of this, this little thing that's so limited. It's just stuck on this little branch of this tree and, and has very, very limit, limit, great limitations. But then something happens. It spins a cocoon, and it has this incredible process of chrysalis. And, and next thing you know, it emerges as this new creation. It's in a sense, you know, the same being, but it has been totally transformed. It's no longer limited to just crawling around in that one little branch. It has a freedom that, that comes in that transformation. And so it is in Christ that we are transformed, that we are, we are, the old is gone, the new has come. And that's a truth that, again, many of you here can say, that's true in my life. I want to encourage you that if you're here, if you're struggling, that's the gospel message, that if you trust in Jesus Christ, he has the power to change our life. And again, so many of us, that's not only words that we've read, that's lives that we've lived. But I want to show you that the message that he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 5 is actually beyond that. That's all true, but there's even more that we often don't see. And the reason that we don't see it is that we read that verse alone and we don't read it in the context of the verses that follow. And if you read the verses that follow, what you find is not only does he say that we are a new person, but he's saying that we're also given a new identity, a new purpose, a a new goal in life. That we're literally not only saved from our sins, but we're also saved to or for a great and eternal eternal purpose. That the very purpose of our life has changed. Yes, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. But that new includes a new value system. The old value system that we used to live for, that the rest of the world lives for, we're not bound by that anymore. We're not bound on this little branch and thinking that this little branch is all that matters. We suddenly have a new meaning. We, we f- see from the perspective of eternity that we get to live a life that matters for eternal purposes. And we're not necessarily stuck to just live in the same rat race as everyone else. Life is more than getting stuff. Life is more than just surviving. It's, it's more than just this little branch. We suddenly can fly above and we have an eternal perspective. Look at what Paul says. What is that purpose? What are we saved for? Uh, look at, look at uh, verse, if you have your Bibles, verse 18. And this is from God, through who Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciled the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. He has entrusted that message to us. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for God, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What he's saying is that we realize that we have been given this great gift. We're people that we've experienced the grace of God and we've seen him, we're seeing him change our life. And as we see that we're made right with God, he reconciles us to him. We see that the way that he makes us new creatures, he's made us new. We realize now that we've been entrusted with that message to share it with others. That we're now called to take that message of hope and to share it with people who desperately need it. As verse 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. This is an incredibly high call. The idea of being an ambassador, I mean, it's something that even in our day, you recognize, okay, if you're chosen by the president, if you're chosen by the king, if you're chosen and saying, okay, you represent the nation, 
You represent, you're the one that communicates this. But even in our day, we miss something of the significance because some of what has changed technologically. See, in our day, we might think, well, you've got the ambassador, but it's more symbolic. If the president really wants to get in touch with, you know, a president of another country, he can call him on the phone. He can email him. There's all these means of communication. For most of history, when you have an ambassador, there were no other means of communication. If the king wanted to contact somebody, you sent the ambassador, and the whole communication of that message rested totally on the ambassador. If he failed to deliver the message, the message didn't go through, so that literally the fate of nations rested on the ambassador and his ability and faithfulness in representing the word of the king. Not only did he represent the king, but he's saying he was the only representative. And what the Bible is teaching is that that is true for us. We have now been entrusted by the king as the one who are entrusted with his message. He's called us as ambassador. And not only are we the ambassador, we're the only way. Look what Paul says about this in Romans chapter 10. He says this, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God reaches out to everyone and any who call the name of the Lord will be saved. But then how are we to be called? Look at verse 14. How will then they then call on him in whom they've not believed? Okay, so if you have somebody who don't believe, how will, they, how will they call on him? And how are they to believe in him whom they've not never heard? Well, they, they need to hear before they can believe. And how can they hear without someone preaching? When it says preaching, it's really communicating. It's not up here preaching. It's somebody sharing. And so how are you, you can't believe unless you've heard and you can't hear unless somebody tells you. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And here's what it's saying. The only way that people will ever hear the gospel, believe the gospel, is that they hear the gospel, and that's only going to happen if people share the gospel. And God says, the people that do that, that are faithful to this call, the faithful to the call of ambassadors, man, how beautiful are the feet, how beautiful are, the, are their, their, their life. See, we are the ambassadors trusted with God's message. See, what does it say again? We are ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. You see, he, that's what's happening. Jesus ascended into heaven. And when we see that in Matthew 28, he ascends into heaven. He says, okay, I'm going and I'm leaving you to go make disciples of all nations. And what he's saying is, okay, now if I'm going to speak, if people are going to hear me, the only way they're going to hear my message is through you. That's the only way they're going to hear it. And, and you know, you are now my mouthpiece. You are the ones that God is making his appeal through you to people who desperately need it. Now, let me take a moment because I realize that there may be some here today that you're visiting and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you're like, oh man, this church, they must be on some kind of a, you know, a, you know, movement to try to get more people in. And I want to tell you, that's, that's, not the, that's not the purpose of this. My primary concern as a pastor, my primary concern for the people of this church is not at this point focus on adding more people, you know, getting a, a, a drive to add more people here. Our goal is that we are each people who have experienced the life-changing power of the gospel in our own lives. We've been changed. We've experienced it. We know that this is true. We know that that is true. And now we want to share with other people because it's like, man, I've got this ultimate truth. And sometimes we can get so caught up in life that we forget how important that call is. And how much people that, you know, need to hear what, what we've discovered, what somebody else shared with us. And so we now represent Christ as Paul did and said, okay, we want to share this because we've got what, what you need. 
And it's not my opinion, it's what God says. The one who's designed your life to say, this is what you need. Be reconciled to God, have this relationship. He's the one that can make you new, that can, that can make you as a new creation. To give you freedom that, that you wouldn't otherwise know. See, we're committed to that because we've experienced it. And now God is making his appeal through us. And if we fail to communicate that, we realize that people who don't know won't hear. Without Christians who are willing to faithfully step up and share the good news, the people of the world who desperately need to hear that good news never will. So now, what does this look like? Practically, how does this play out in our lives? Well, here I want to go back to some of what we talked about last week. For those that weren't here, last week we looked at the story of Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah is this incredible story of this, you know, this great work. The people of God needed to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It was a great work that they had talked about that 90 years people had been working on it. Nothing had been done because it seemed like such a huge work, way bigger than anybody could imagine. But yet God raised up this man, Nehemiah, and he motivated people. And within a couple of months, the whole job was done. And you say, how in the world was that done? And it was done because each person, Nehemiah organized it so that each person took responsibility of their part of the wall. He basically organized and said, okay, this is where you live. You guys, you do from here to here. You just focus on this part of the wall. And you guys, you, this is your part of the wall. And each person took responsibility for their little section. And as each person did their little part, within a matter of months, this, this great wall was built. So now we look at the great call that we have. We're called to make disciples of all nations. How do we do that? Man, that's a great dream. How do we do that? You know how it's done? As each person does, takes responsibility for our part of the wall. It's the same way. When we look at that, we've got to say, do we really believe that, that the gospel can impact the world? Do we really believe it can impact the Akron area? Do we really believe it can impact, you know, even have an impact on the direction of our country? Because I'll, I'll be honest, you know, you look at what's going on, and man, it's discouraging sometimes, morally and spiritually in the decline. And you look at that and you say, you know, man, are we just supposed to hold on and hope that Christ comes back and we can hold on to the rapture? And, and that's what we can often think. But what we have to realize is that that's not the, the picture that the Bible presents. It doesn't say, well, hold on until you come back. God says, no, I'm going to now plant my church and I want you to go storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against the advance of the church. That's what I think that God wants. I believe that God still can bring revival. I still believe that God can do amazing things. I believe that not, you know, you know, that you know, many, many people come to know Christ, so much so that the culture begins to change from the inside out. I believe that can happen. Now, how does that happen? How did it happen all the way back to when Jesus ascended into heaven? There are 120 people that were there. And how is it that he took 120 people and he transformed the culture? You know how it happened? The same way that the walls were built in Jerusalem. As each person said, I will be responsible for my little part of the wall. I'll be responsible for, for where God put me. I realize that God has placed me in this little spot where I have people that I work with, people in my neighborhood, people in my school, people that are my sphere of interaction, and that's the mission field that God has called me to do. That's the part of the wall that God has called me to reach. See, he hasn't called any of us to reach Akron. He hasn't called any of us to reach the world. He's called me to reach the people that I interact with. And if every one of us are faithful with our little sphere of influence, God will do amazing things. I look at it and I say, can you believe, you know, could you believe, imagine that God would lead, you know, 500 people to Christ in the next couple years through this church? Is that, I mean, that's an amazing thing to imagine. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, oh, that's a wish, that's a dream. 
Well, how do we do it? Man, I don't have a strategy. I don't have a plan to do that. You know how it happens? It happens as each person says, could you, could you believe that God could use you to lead one person to Christ in two years? Do you think that if you really prayed, if you really said, God, use me, that God could use you to lead one person to Christ in two years? And if you say, I think that's possible, and if you're really faithful to that, and if you pray regularly, and God does, lead, uses you to lead one person to Christ in two years, suddenly we have 500 people in two years. Probably more than that, because they're bringing new people. And then, you know, beyond that, if we continue on, and suddenly it multiplies, and, and suddenly you see just from a small group of people, God has the ability to transform a culture. See, our ultimate goal is something that we look at it and we say, God has called us to do that, but it's each one of us does our part. And we might think of it, well, but he hasn't called me to be a pastor. He hasn't called me to be a missionary. He hasn't called me. I don't have what it takes. You know, one of the great examples of this that has really modeled it for me is my dad. My dad, when he first became a Christian, you know, he, you know early in his Christian walk, he's like, well, God, God wants to use me. And he thought about, you know, selling his business and going to Bible school. And, and he had somebody talk to him and ask him, he said, I want you to think about the people you interact with over the course of a given week. And then at the end of the week, well, think about all those people. How many of those people would you have interacted with if you were a pastor, if you were a missionary? And suddenly I realized very few of them. That God put him on a mission field, and he said, you know, he said, maybe God wants you to stay on the mission field that you're at. That's the part of the wall that God has put you in. And so he embraced that. And he's been an incredible example of evangelism so that we've seen hundreds, literally hundreds of people come to know Christ through his ministry as a businessman who's just saying, I'm going to be faithful to the part of the wall where God has placed me. And so a big part of my motivation is I thank you, Dad, for that example. You lived it out. And it's an example for all of us, you know, that God hasn't made me more effective because I'm a pastor. And he makes us all, he calls us all to this ministry. What is the part of the wall that God has called you to? Now, some people would say, well, I kind of know that I'm really for evangelism, but, but we have reasons that we think that we're not called. That, you know, and, and so, I, so there's a couple excuses that, that, uh, that we off, I hear people all the time. So let me give you a couple of the excuses that I hear people give. And also, likewise, to try to give you a biblical perspective of what that says. Probably the most common that I hear is, I'm not gifted to do evangelism. And because I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, therefore I'm not called to do it. I hear people all the time, that's just not my gift. Okay, well, let's look at it from a biblical perspective. There's one place in the Bible that talks about the spiritual gift of evangelism. Let's see what it teaches. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Here's what it says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, or the shepherds would be pastors, pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, here's what he does. He gives four gifts, and he says, these are distinct gifts. These are different than the other gifts. But they're different in, not in degree, but in type. In the sense, not that they do greater ministry, but they do a different kind of ministry. These four gifts are unique in the kind of ministry that they do. And specifically, we get it right there in verse 12. All these gifts are unique because they are gifts that are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. These four gifts are unique because they're support gifts. They're not frontline gifts. They're support gifts to support everyone else to be more effective. 
Now, let's see if some of these are really obvious. Apostles and prophets, those are the gifts that God gave. Those are the people that wrote the Old New Testament. So God gave us the Old New Testament because it's the support, the teaching that all of us grow through. That's how we, how we grow in our faith. So I'm thankful for those people. They, their ministry is supporting the church throughout the centuries. Pastors and teachers, my job isn't to do the work of ministry, that you are the ministers. My job is to equip you so that you're more effective in ministry. Now, it has evangelists in there. Now, you sit there and you say, is that a support gift? And here's what you have to realize, is that what the Bible teaches is that the gift of evangelism is unique because it's a teaching and training gift. It's not that the majority of people are to come to know Christ through those who have the gift of evangelism. It's that you have the gift of evangelism. Those are the people that are to teach and to motivate and so that the rest of us know how to do it. We're encouraged how to do it. They're the ones that live the example for us. You know, so they're the example when you hear Billy Graham or we had Richard Sharp here a couple years ago and he's sharing some of these things and, and you look at that and you say, I could never do Richard Sharp. You know what? But he's teaching you some ideas and skills that all of us can use. Let me try to illustrate this. Okay, think about the people that were most effective in leading you to saving faith in Christ. How many of you would say, I'm, I seldom do this where I actually ask you to raise your hand, how many of you would say, that the person or people most used to lead you to saving faith in Christ was somebody like a Billy Graham or Richard Sharp or somebody like that that had the gift of evangelism that was this great evangelist. How many of you would say that? I, I just, I see, you know, two out of all this group. Now I want you to realize, who's doing the work of evangelism? The evangelists? No. It's not true in our church, it's true in almost all the churches. Very few people come to Christ through the ministry of those evangelists. When you think of evangelists, people, oh man, they're outgoing, they're spoken, they, you know, they know how to say things. They know. Now think about the person that was most responsible to lead you to Christ. They probably weren't like that. They're usually, well, they cared for me, they prayed for me, they, they built a relationship. It was, it was discipleship. And then I look at it and I say, well, I can't be like Billy Graham, but can you be like the person who led you to Christ? Yeah, you can. And we realize that if you're not called, that means that you're not called to teach other people how to do it, but you're still called to do it. We're all God's ambassadors. And I'm thankful for people like that who challenge and teach us how to do it, but it's so that all of us can go out and say, okay, who have you put me in my mission field? Who do you want me to reach? We're all called. And some people would say, well, okay, well, maybe that, but I don't know enough to share my faith. You know, I mean, somebody's asked me questions and I'm not gonna share that. And, you know, I'm going to probably get the answers. Let me, a lot of studies have been done with this. You know who are the most effective evangelists? Brand new Christians. If you've been a believer for less than two years, you're far more effective evangelism than anybody that, you know, the, the longer we're, we're Christians, the less effective we tend to come. Now, part of that is that people are excited and they know non-believers and, and they're motivated. They realize, God's changed my life and I want to share that. But you've got new believers who don't know anything, but they don't know that they don't know anything. You know what they know? God changed my life. And it's exactly, we're going to see this through the Gospel of John. Numerous times, you know what the evangelistic strategy of John is? It's, come and see. This happened to me. Come and see. Come and see the guy that changed my life. Come see the guy that told me everything. Come to see. I was blind, but now I see. Come and see who it was that changed me. And my friends, we may think, well, I don't know everybody. You don't need to know everything. What you need to know is that God has called me to be his ambassador. I'm going to share. And let's go, if you have your Bibles, go back to 2 Corinthians we had first chapter 5. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. 
Because I want you to see something there. He says, we're ambassadors, making his, God's making his appeal through us, 6-1, working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Hear what he's saying? We're sharing this, but we're working with him. We're doing our part, but God's the one that's going to change the person's life. I don't need to have all the right answers. I just need to share God's truth and then let God's Holy Spirit change the person's heart. I'm not going to argue the person to faith. I'm not going to be able to, I'm just going to share the gospel. Not only that, but let me encourage you one other idea with this. You know, the, the Bible talks a lot about you know, spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. You ever think that evangelism is a, is a teamwork event? It's the body of Christ. God has placed you in your sphere of influence where you get to know people that I could never get to know. But you know what? You can invite them to an event here. You can invite them to the, you know, the, the parenting class or the divorce care class or invite them to the sports ministry. And I would never know them to invite them to that. You can invite them to pay setters. You can invite them to youth group. The fact is, is that Joseph doesn't know those people to invite them. You know them. You can invite them into youth group where they come and hear. Come and see. Oh, man, this is great. Come and see. But you're the ones that are out there that are interacting with these people on the mission field. And you can include them as part of this bigger thing that what God is doing. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to share what God's doing in your life and invite them to come and see. Well, then some people would say, well... But they really are closed. You know, I've tried to share. I've invited them to church. They don't want to hear. They, you know, they don't, they don't really want to know. Okay, anybody that's come to Christ as an adult, how many of you would say that the first time you heard the gospel, you're like, that's what I need? Anybody? No. The first time you heard it? Well, that's, that's really rare. And the neat thing is there are some people like that. There are some people that you share the gospel and you're like, man, they just respond. But that's rare. You know what happens most of the time? They're very closed. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want you know, we argue, argue against it. Or, and the thing is, is we plant the seed. You know, it's, the Bible uses this whole imagery of, of agriculture. You plant a seed. Very few seeds sprout up like that. Most of them take time, and you plant, and you water, and you're patient. And some take, you know, literally spiritually, some take weeks, and some take months, and some take years, and some take decades. And it's, well, they might be closed. Well, does that mean that we should give up? Are we, for those of us who came to Christ as adults and it took a while, are, are we thankful that, you know, are, should people have given up on us and walked away because we weren't open? Are we thankful that they persevered? Look at again what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you, we're, we're calling out to these people that aren't responding, and we're imploring, we're not giving up on them. Look at what it says in the book of Jude. And Jude, it's, there's no chapters in there, such so as verses 21 to 23. But look what Jude says about this. Keep uh, yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy, be patient. They're going to be people who doubt. They're going to be people that are struggle with this. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained with flesh. We're called to be merciful. We're called to be wait, waiting. And we're called to, in a sense, fight for them, recognizing that we're snatching them out of the fire. That, that this is a, a literal thing. There is the fires of hell. That is a literal threat. That is a literal reality that those who die apart from Christ, we're snatching them out of that fire. Do we give up because they don't respond right away? Okay, let me use an illustration. That, that story, you're walking home late at night. You're, you know, you're out late. It's you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. You go by your neighbor's house. All the lights are off, but you see a fire inside the house. 
and you suddenly realize their house is on fire. And so you walk by and your thought is, well, you know what, they're probably asleep and it would be really rude for me to wake them up. Is that your thought? You know, you know if I do that, they'll be really mad at me for waking them up. And, and you know what, I know they're smokers and so maybe they, they lit the fire by dropping the cigarette. And, and if I wake them up, they're gonna really feel guilty about how they made that mistake. And I don't wanna make them feel guilty about where they messed up and how they started this own fire. So I'm gonna leave them alone. Of course not. What happens? You pound on the door. You know, you pound, wake up, wake up. You know, oh, go away. No, wake up. Your house is on fire. If I need to, I'm going to break down the door. I'm going to do whatever I can because I recognize that it's a matter of life and death and I'm going to take whatever risk to save their, their, their life. Now, my friends, what the Bible is saying here is that that is true spiritually. That what does, what does Jude say? That we're saving others by snatching them out of the fire. That we're called to bound, you know, knock down the door. Now, sometimes it's have mercy and be patient. It doesn't, don't drag them out. We're patient. We let God work in his time. But we don't give up. We don't just walk away because they don't want to hear. Because, because we recognize that this is the gospel message that is needed. And they might not respond right away. But God calls us to be persistent, to snatch them from the fire. And to recognize that if we pray for, if we seek after people, you know what, my experience, I've interacted with people. I think, again, my dad is a great example. You know, you say, who are the people that you've been praying for for your life that would come to know Christ? And when you talk to people who have been committed to praying for people for their whole life, and you ask, who are those people you prayed for? Almost all of them come to Christ eventually. And that happens. And so you sit there and you say, well, they don't want to hear. Well, keep praying, keep pursuing, keep keeping an open door, because you may look at it in the short run, man, it's so discouraging. They seem so closed. You know what? If, if you're looking at your ability to convince them, you'll get discouraged. If you look at their ability to figure it out, their ability to, their openness to repent, you'll get discouraged. If you look at God's ability to transform a life, you'll be encouraged. And God has the ability, that's his norm, to do the miraculous. So be patient, be faithful. Just some closing thoughts and just practical application of this, practical principles. Let me give you three just in closing. All discipleship is relational in nature. Remember that. You know, this is, when we say all discipleship, that means our, sharing our faith. The question is, where has God put you? What are the relationships you have? How do you pursue those relationships? How do you spend time? How do you communicate care? How do you, just, just ask the question, how can I pray for you? Start there. Invite them to some events at church. Invite them to something that you think they might be, you know, open to. Recognize that it's teamwork. You know, that you might not have all the answers, but you, you're on the front lines. Those are your sphere of influence. Bring them into a place where others can share the gospel. Others can, can reach out to them. Second of all, remember the power of prayer. Again, we saw uh, 2 Corinthians 6.1. They're uh, working together with him, we appeal to you. This is not something that we do on our own. We appeal recognizing that, God, we're going to do our part, but God, you change them. And again, here's what I want to tell you. I've talked with people, and you say, okay, the people I prayed for regularly, they tend to come to Christ eventually. I'm going to give you a really specific encouragement. We've done this before, but it's a great reminder. I've given you a little bookmark. It's a little reminder. It's on the back. I'm committed to praying for. I want to encourage you to think of three people in your sphere of influence. Are you willing to pray for them on a regular basis? Ideal on a daily basis. And I want to tell you, in my experience, you know, we've done this before, and I'll have people that will come up and say, oh, I've been praying for them. I've been praying every day. And almost everyone that comes and says, for a couple years, I've been praying every day, one of those three people have come to know Christ. Most people come and say, oh, you need to remember, I need to do that. I need to, 
Hey, pray for them on a regular basis. Pray and, and take this, put it in your Bible if you do devotions daily to remind you. Put it on your mirror, put it in somewhere that reminds you to pray for these people, to seek that opportunity of relationship. And ultimately, it's not only praying for them, but praying for your own heart. God calls us to be disciples that have the heart of Jesus Christ. You know, I think the biggest reason that we don't share our faith, it isn't that we feel we don't have the gifts. It isn't that we feel like we don't know enough. It's really practically we don't care enough. That we don't have heart, Christ's heart towards people. We don't look at people and realize that, that we need to save them from, from the hells of hellfire. That that's a reality. That we would pound on the door to save them from the fire if it was house. But we're not that concerned when we realize that, that there is a reality of spiritual fire. That, that ultimately you look at Jesus Christ and if I have the heart of Christ, he came to seek and save the lost. That was his passion and if I know Christ, I'm going to become more and more like him. And so I'd encourage you just even to start by praying, God, give me your heart for unbelievers in my life. God, help me to see people the way you see them. God, use me. And I, I encourage you if, you, if you're willing to pray that regularly, God, give me the heart for people in my community. Use me. Man, I look forward to some hearing some incredible stories because that's a prayer that God's going to answer in ways that you can't begin to imagine. God's called us to this task, to this mission. He's called us to, to be his people in this time, to take our spot in the wall. And I want to tell you in the midst of it, it's, you know, it's easy to get discouraged when we walk out of here. This is a place that we need to be encouraged, to be encouraged by the call that God has given us, to be encouraged to say, I hear him call me to my part, to look at my culture and to realize, no, God has placed me in this place. God has placed us in this time and I'm going to step forward and I'm going to be faithful to that call. Just in close, let me give one last challenge. The last challenge by poem on video that I think just speaks these words in a powerful, powerful way. It's our time. We must rise up and no longer disparage. It's our time, church, to honor our heritage. We have a savior. He gave it all on the cross. We stand beside martyrs who counted nothing as lost. They took God's mysteries, opened them up for us. Stephen, John the Baptist, Bonhoeffer, Jan Hus. Surrounded by a cloud of witnesses above, it's now our turn to model his unending love. Our mission is one we cannot confuse, nor muddy up with some trite excuse. You say you're not well-versed, ready, or able. I think Moses even tried to use that fable. The time we have, it's now more urgent. If we should hear, well done, faithful servant. Yeah, church, it's our time. It's our time to confess the ways we're mangled, the sins and selfishness that have us entangled. Lust, greed, and pride, their path leads to the grave. Yet we return to our sins as if we're a slave. Can we survive in this putrid dead sea? I quote Paul, may it never be. So let's cast aside our individual leprosy and begin to leave a biblical legacy. There's a glorious prize awaiting to be won, and the way to win is to start to run. Let's lace them up and fight the good fight, become to the world both salt and light. Our life on earth is merely a vapor, 
our chapter must move from pen to paper. So church, let's get to writing because it's our time. It's our time, church. We have what it takes to help the world from its slumber awake. To Jesus, we are his beautiful bride. Whom shall we fear with him on our side? We have each other, we are not alone. It's iron to iron in the combat zone. There's a promise of life full of adventure. As long as we give both talents and treasure, the workers are few, the harvest is plenty, with so many lives running on empty. Scores of people trying to cope. They've come to the end of their proverbial rope. Young eyes are wandering, looking for direction. Make sure we point them to his resurrection. The clock's ticking, we're on our dime. Hey church, rise up! It's our time. We want to rise up. We want to rise up. And I encourage you that God has called us to rise up for this time in this place. And as we each one do it, how do we do it? We do it as individuals. And as we raise up as individuals and say, God, I'm willing to take my spot on the wall. In this time, God will do things that amaze us. Not because of who we are. Not because of anything we have to offer, but because we carry the message of reconciliation that has transformed lives and transformed cultures, and God still wants to do it through us. Thanks for joining us. If you have any questions about what we talked about, Jesus Christ, our church, or anything else, connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. We'd love to hear from you.